0: good to be with you all. Just want to express my thanks to Dave and Marsha Pritz for uh, leading one of our two teams. We're with you. We're praying for you. I just encourage you to get involved uh, just in that beautiful effort there and and just a wonderful ministry and way that God has given us this opportunity. This morning we're continuing the book of Romans. uh, In chapters 5, 6, 7, and 8, Paul's really going to start getting into the implications of this great gospel. What does it mean for us? in our day-to-day lives, that we've been saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. He's given us the bad news, he's given us the good news, and now he's going to start really getting into the details of what this good news means for us. And so today we're going to talk about peace. I wonder what brings you peace. I can think of a few things uh, in my life. First of all, there are certain places that I find peaceful, like the beach, for example. Maybe you're a beach person. uh, Or maybe you're a mountain person instead on the mountains. I like the mountains as well. It's very peaceful. Maybe it's a favorite vacation destination. Or maybe it's a certain activity that brings you peace, like being out on the golf course or maybe going for a hike uh, or maybe going for a run or a swim or a bike ride. But I also think that peace comes with being with certain people, people that we love, uh, just being together, and making special memories peace we we need these peaceful moments and all these things are great we need restful life-giving moments throughout our days but i think paul's going to tell us here is that these moments are fleeting they come and they go i mean why are they so satisfying why is it so great when you finally get on vacation you finally get to sit on the beach because those moments seem so few and far between don't they I mean, the rest of life just feels crazy, right? We know that life is harder than it's supposed to be because of sin. And so we seek out these peaceful moments because our normal state is, feels anything but peaceful. And so we just long for those moments. But I wonder if in those moments there isn't something there, if it doesn't point us to a reality that we long for. But We have to be careful that we go beyond that, that we don't just seek The moment, but we're wondering what is behind that. It's not just the gifts, but we're wondering who is this gift giver behind these gifts. Peace is something that the Bible has to define for us. It's not defined by our circumstance, because we know not all of life can be lived sitting on the beach, right? You got to come back to the business meeting and uh, the crying children in your living room and your draining bank account and. Uh, marital conflict, and all these things that are just part of normal life. Relationships that aren't the way they're supposed to be. Sickness. Life is filled with challenges. And so we need a peace that goes beyond circumstance. That isn't something that we just long for on the weekend or at the end of the month. Nothing wrong with that, but the gospel promises us even something deeper, The gospel never promised us a life free from conflict or challenge, that our life will be filled with blissful moments, that life will be easy. No, but the gospel does promise us a real and soul-satisfying peace, an inner state of wholeness, of rightness, a quality of life that is not dependent on circumstance or situation. See, in the Bible, peace is about more than just the absence of conflict— it's about something better in the place of conflict. It is about living the true and whole life. And so I would define peace this way. Biblically, peace is the holistic well-being that is the result of living by God's design. That is peace. It's about becoming fully human, being in right relationship with God and therefore with other people. Ultimate peace is not found in the gifts of creation, but rather in the creator himself. Peace is found in a relationship with God. That's the peace that we can carry with us no matter what. And so the Bible begins unpacking the idea of peace in the Old Testament. The term that's used most frequently is shalom. It means a state of security, of prosperity, of wholeness, of wellness. And then the New Testament carries the same idea forward. It's the assurance that it is well with my soul. That's peace. That even when All is not right with the world. And even though all is not right in my family or in my life or in my heart, I can still say it is well with my soul because of what Jesus has done for me. And it makes a real difference. It's not just blind optimism. It's not just well-wishing. It makes a real difference in my life that Jesus has made a way for me to have peace with God and peace with his world, peace with my neighbors, It's a big deal, and this is what Paul is talking about here in Romans chapter 5. So one of the big ideas that he presents at the beginning of the chapter is that we cannot experience the peace of God until we have peace with God. Did you catch that? We can't experience the peace of God. This is what we long for, true peace, but we cannot experience that until we have peace with him. And this is what the gospel gives us. It's a state of harmony that believers in Christ can have When they are made right before God, when they're justified. And we talked about that last week, right? That's the debt paid and the credit placed in our account. Because of that, our account is in good standing permanently with God. And that results in our justification. We are in right standing with God. Me and God, we're good. And that gives us a real peace. We are at peace with God. This is a real and objective peace that nothing can take away. It gives us access to God and allows us to stand firmly in his grace. But why did God do this? Why did he do it? Paul tells us here. Scripture's been telling us for a long time. But Paul tells us it's because it was his plan based on his love for his glory. Some of my favorite verses in all of the Bible, Romans 5 6 and 5 8. 5 6 says, You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. This term right here, this is the right time. It means the appointed time, meaning it was planned ahead of time. God decided to do this. When did he do that? Ephesians 1 tells us that he decided before he even created the world, he knew how it was going to unfold. He knew the way that things were going to go. And so Jesus was not plan B. Oh, I didn't realize life threw me a curveball here. God knew how things were going to unfold, and he set the plan. And so Paul says at just the right time, at this appointed time by God, his plan is now unfolding. God had a plan, and he did it because of his love. Verse 8. But God demonstrated his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ Died for us. This phrase, while we were still sinners, the, the, the tense here is of action that is present and ongoing. In other words, while we were still in the midst of sin, not that we had sinned, but while we were in the middle of our rebellion, not when we cleaned up our act, not when we decided to turn toward God, when we were still actively rebels from God, turning away from His glory and His presence and obedience to Him, then. Christ died for us before we could do anything to earn it or to serve it, while we were hopeless, and he did it because he loves us, because he created us, and he knows us. And finally, why did he do it? We sang about it beautifully this morning. It was for his glory. It was to bring glory to God. And that's the ultimate purpose, that our lives would bring glory to God. That is what we were created for. And so Paul begins and ends this section saying that all of this, God made peace with us because he loves us, because it is his plan to restore that relationship so that he could be glorified as we know him and enjoy him and are in relationship with him. That's why God did it. So the main focus of this section is not explaining how God accomplished this reconciliation or why, as he's talked about here, but what are the implications of this? In other words, what does this mean for us? What does it mean that we have peace with God? Does that just mean I have a good feeling now? Like, oh, I have, I have peace. It feels good. That does feel good. But, but it's more than that. It's more than just a, a feeling the fact that we have peace with God means a lot of things. In fact, I have five of them for you this morning. And it's, it's, it's incredible what peace with God means for us. The first thing is that it means that we can have a relationship with God. That's the starting point. And that's probably pretty obvious. But because we are in good standing with God, we can know God. And that's the whole point of it all. That we get to know God. The gospel makes this audacious claim that we as human beings... Imperfect, finite, very small creatures in a very big world that we can know God. And I want to express to you that's a big deal. You understand? There are many worldviews, there are many religions that teach that God or the gods or the divine or the infinite power, whatever that is, cannot be known. We just can't. We're just people. How could we know the divine? And in some ways, I think they're onto something because when you really think about it, it's like, how can we? Connect with God. How can we know God? Because apart from the gospel, it really doesn't make sense. Apart from the unique solution, how can we know and be in relationship with God only one way? And that's that God became man and bridged the infinite gap between a holy God and imperfect people. That's the only way. It's the unique solution. It's incredible that God came down, that God bled on the cross, that he overcame the power of death, hell, and the grave, was raised from the dead... That's the only way that we can know God. But it means we can know him because we have peace with God. As bad as we've messed this up, we have peace with God and it means we can know him. The second thing is that it means there's a redemption of our suffering. You know, what's interesting. Paul kind of turns a weird corner here. You ever notice he does that sometimes? He's talking about one thing and then all of a sudden he's talking about something else and you're like, how did he get here? I thought you were talking about Peace. And now you're talking about suffering. Where where are you going here? Well, he says if we have peace with God, that's, that's the idea here, is that it's not just something we experience in the good times, but this peace is something that we carry with us into and in the midst of suffering. Because we can know that if the gospel is true, that all of our suffering will someday, in some way, be redeemed by God. There is no part of our life that is outside of God's economy and that is unredeemable. Now, you all know, sometimes we experience that in this life. Sometimes we see it and we get it. We understand the lessons that we're learning from our suffering and we say, God, I understand why you had me to go through this because I see now how this is unfolding in my life. But that's not always the way it works. See, that's what it takes faith and trust. There are aspects of our suffering in this life that we're never going to understand this side of heaven. And we go, God, I don't know why you did that. I don't know. I don't understand why that happened to me. I don't understand why this is happening to those people around the world. All kinds of things. But we can know because God gave us the greatest example through Jesus Christ. The worst possible thing God redeemed. That we put the Son of God to death the worst possible thing, and God redeemed it for the, to be the best possible thing. So we can then trust in our circumstances, small or big as they may seem, that he can and he will redeem those. One of the ways that he redeems them is through building us in character. We know that hard times can produce things in us that are good that we would not get at otherwise. It's just part of the, the human experience. It produces character in us. It gives us the strength There's sometimes things that crystallize in suffering. Now, understand me here. I'm not saying that genuinely bad things don't happen. There are people who get this wrong. I think even people uh, that are Christians who think that, you know, if we just pretend that nothing bad happens, you know, God only does good things and God is only love and everything is always positive and all the other stuff is like our fault or the devil doesn't fall within God's sovereignty. That's not how it works. Right? God is sovereign over all those things, and those genuinely bad things are still genuinely bad things. They're messed up. They're not the way that life is supposed to be. They're broken. It's because of sin. Either ours or just living in a sinful environment. But Paul says we have a peace that we carry with us into all circumstances. We're right with God, and now no matter what we go through, we can trust that God is going to redeem it somehow. He's going to make it ultimately work out for good in the end. That is our hope. The third thing is that it's the reassurance of God's love for us. The status of peace with God is because God loves us. Sometimes it's hard to believe that God loves us and could love us unconditionally. Maybe you struggle with that. Maybe right now you struggle with the fact that God could love you. In spite of decisions that you made, choices, the way that you've lived your life. And I think it's hard to grasp the unconditional love of God because the honest truth is we don't have any human examples. I I hope you have people in your life who are trying to love you unconditionally and are a wonderful example of the love of Christ in your life. I hope you have those, but even those are far from perfect. And so it's hard for us to grasp a God that loves us no matter what we do. Because as people, we fail to do that. We struggle to love people no matter what. There's always conditions attached to it. But the status of peace with God reminds us that God is a God who loves us infinitely. We have proof of that. The first proof is what Jesus has done for us. That's the kind of objective proof, truth. In time, in real history, Jesus died. He rose again. We also have the somewhat subjective Uh, evidence, which is of the Holy Spirit. Paul talks about in verse 5, the Holy Spirit is poured out into our hearts. And this is a reassurance of God's love. The Spirit is described as as the seal or the guarantee, the deposit, showing us that that God is for us. And the Holy Spirit working in your life is evidence that, that God loves you, that you are in Him. That's assurance that God is not done with you. The fourth thing that our peace with God results in is the removal of wrath. We've kind of alluded to that, but here's the hard truth. Apart from Christ, we are called enemies of God. Ouch. That's tough language. I don't like to focus on that, but that's what the Bible says. Why is that? Well, because we have chosen to join in the human rebellion. We have turned away from God. We've all sinned. We've all done what If we were in Adam and Eve's position, we would have done the same thing, right? We're rebels. We know that we can't even come close to perfection. The result of that is that the consequence of that is that we are now uh, enemies of God. That's a scary thing. I don't want to be an enemy of God. Well, in Christ, we have become family. Just the opposite. It's not even that we're no longer enemies, but now we're friends. The Bible uses even stronger language. We are adopted into the family of God. We are brothers and sisters of Jesus, who is the first fruits. He is the pioneer of our salvation, bringing us into the family of God. In Christ, the wrath of God has been, not even just removed, but satisfied on our behalf. Finally, peace with God results really in the restoration of our humanity. And that's what this whole section is talking about. We're made right with God, and now we're being restored to the people that we were created to be. This is all the result of our status of being in peace with God. I think one of the comforting things about that, one thing that brings me peace, is knowing that we're not done yet. Sometimes you just need to remind yourself that God is not done with you yet. And you know it but you're hard on yourself because you forget God is not done with you yet, and he will not give up on you. The work that he has begun in your life, wherever you are in your stage and journey of faith, the work that he has begun in your life, he will bring it to completion. He will. You know why? Because nothing can stop him. Because he's God. He's an all-powerful God. So God is not going to give up on you. He is making you into a new person. And so as he works his peace into you and you experience the peace of God, because you have peace with God, it also results in our peace with other people and us becoming peacemakers. That's part of what Fort Tulsa is about. It's about actively being peacemakers in our community. That we can live differently in relation to our neighbors because, you know what, we're good with God. And if we're good with God, that makes all the difference. I got nothing to prove to you. I got nothing to compete with you against. I can just love you because I'm good with God. It changes our relationships, with the people we're closest to and the people around us. And so what we need is not just a situational piece. You might need a day on the golf course. You might need a day at the beach. You might need to go for a bike ride. Those are all wonderful, beautiful ways to experience God's peace in the midst of a crazy world. But allow those things to not be ends of themselves. Allow them to point you to a greater reality. What are we longing for in these moments of very temporary peace? We're longing for the ultimate peace of God. And that's something we can experience that has already been accomplished for us, is real to us today, and gives us a greater peace that we can long for in the future. Right? Because we need a peace that's not temporary— We also need a peace that's something better than just a hope that one day things are going to be set right and peaceful. We need a peace that begins today and gets even better, and that's what the gospel promises for us. A real peace that we carry with us into the darkest and hardest places of life, in the good days and the bad days, a peace that nothing can take away from us, no circumstance can change. We have a peace with God. His wrath is removed. We can know Him. We know His love. And we're becoming more and more his people. That is peace, it's wholeness. That's what we long for, not just a temporary break from the craziness of life. We long to be made whole, to feel at rest in the deepest place of our soul. We long for a rest. We're just, are you tired? Anybody out there tired? And not just tired because you had a, a bad night of sleep. I mean, do you just feel deeply tired by how hard life can be? There's a rest. There's a peace. There's a wholeness. God is working it into your life now. It's only going to get better, but it's for today. And it's by grace alone, it's through faith alone, it's in Christ alone, and living into that relationship and all that it means for you. I pray that you'll know the peace of God. Let's pray together, friends. Father, we thank you that you are good. Father, we thank you that you had had a plan from all eternity to restore all that was lost in our sinfulness. And that results in an incredible, real, soul-satisfying peace that heals us from the inside out. God, would you give us a peace? Would you give us a rest for the living of these days? A peace unlike the world knows or can offer to us, but a peace that might make them curious for the hope that we have and the peace that we experience in the midst of the craziness. God, make us your peace-loving and peacemaking people, your good news people.